Are you living your true calling? That unique thing that you were born to do that impacts the most people in your corner of the world. That is the topic, the big topic, that I tackle on today's show with my friend Jeff Goins. Now, if you don't know Jeff, he is a best-selling author and a popular, successful blogger. Uh, he's the founder of GoinsWriter.com, and he's written multiple books, and his latest is called The Art of Work, and it is all about that. It's all about how do you unpack what it is that you're made to do, and then so you can st go start doing it. So in this episode, you're going to learn about not only his journey, but mine as well, how we figured out uh, what we were made to do and the windy, crooked path that everybody takes to get there. There's some surprising things that he shares, some surprising secrets that he found while interviewing hundreds of people who have found their life calling and how you can do the same. So this is a really fantastic uh, conversation. I had so much fun doing it. And we're going to get right into it. So I give you my friend, Jeff Goins. All right, Jeff, welcome to the show, my friend. It's good to see you. Hey, Kevin, good to be seen, even though, you know, nobody else can see us. Nobody else can see us. Yes. So here we are. And uh, like Shakespeare said, the past is prologue. And the most obvious place to start is, is with your book. Right, which is why we're not going to start by talking about your book. Oh, good, great. Because okay. we're not obvious guys. Um, <laughs> cool. So, for those who aren't familiar with from whence Jeff Goins came, uh, why don't you tell a little bit of your story? Because all of that is the context for everything else we're going to talk about, and especially this book. So, once upon a time, there was Jeff. <laughs> Take it away. Yeah, well, um, gosh, we've known each other for, you know, several years now, and you've seen a lot of this sort of, you know, uh, unfold sometimes probably, you know, from afar, because I'm sure that's all you were doing over the past several years is just watching my life unfold. I was uh, sitting out in front of your house. Good. I, was, I wonder Stalking. who that was. No, um, it's interesting to me in that, you know, uh, for a long time I was doing something that I thought was sort of a a deviation from the plan and ended up being, you know, the, the best preparation in what I was, you know, going to do eventually. What I mean by that is, you know, I worked for a nonprofit for seven years, as as you know, uh, as a marketing director, um, really wanting to be a writer. And I liked my job. I didn't hate it. I, you know, worked for this great cause. Um, but it wasn't, I just had this feeling that I, you know, there was more. Mm -hmm. And um, I always kind of felt like that, you know, when I was a kid, um, I, you know, I used to tell, I used to write these stories in sixth grade of gargoyles. And I'm pretty sure that, um, I had just like, uh, seen Jurassic Park and, and there was a cartoon out at the time about gargoyles. And I was just combining those, those plot right, lines, right. uh, which I, I would feel worse about if I, if I didn't know a ton of novelists and that's basically how they make a living. It's just like combining <laughs> stories as you probably know. Um, so, but there was always this like creative drive, this what if in me, but for whatever reason, I never thought that was like a, like you could make a living doing that stuff. Uh, and so when I, when I was in high school, I started playing guitar cause my dad played guitar and I got into music and I got into writing songs and I was like, oh, this could be it. But again, there was that voice that no, like who really makes a living, you know, playing music. And then I went to college and I majored, uh, in Spanish and religion and, uh, you know, not because I, you know, knew I could do anything with that vocationally just because I thought it was fun because <laughs> I was always like, you know, chasing impractical things apparently. And uh, just as I was getting ready to graduate college, I found uh, this opportunity to basically play music for a living for a year. And I, so I did it. I like for the first time, I mean, this was actually a struggle. Like I got to do what I thought was my dream. And I toured with a band for a year. We played all over the U.S., even uh, played for a month in Taiwan, did all these concerts in Taiwan. And, uh, you know, basically in the U.S., people had no idea who we are. But in Taiwan, we were oh, big. you were big, huh? We, we got noticed on the streets by uh, these teenage girls where we played at their nursing schools and stuff. So, I mean, it oh, was wow. it was so wild. I have, to, I have yeah. to ask before we move on, does this music exist anywhere where we can find it? 
Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was part of a, a, a touring, you know, it was a nonprofit uh, ministry. It was this Christian group that we played with, and it was it's called CTI Music Ministries. So you could, I think, go to ctimusic.org, and you can find one of our CDs. Um, so have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, you uh, should it, actually it, bundle that in with your book. If people ever find the music that I wrote and recorded with my band in high school, which was called Decaf, and we called ourselves Decaf partly because we didn't have a drummer. It was two electric guitars and an electric bass. <laughs> oh, if that's people, awesome. If people ever find that, we're in trouble. I'm, Decaf. Uh, my, my whole reputation is, is in trouble. Like I can't run for political office for no other reason than the fact that I was in that band and that music's out there somewhere. Is, so is it like Decaf as in like decaffeinated? Yeah, because we thought like decaf no music would be like no no percussion, no like booming bass drum or something. Yeah, a buddy of mine had a, a a band called Liquid Chicken, <laughs> and it was all because they loved uh, chicken soup. Oh, Liquid chicken. Right. It could so be like it. it could also be like a yeah like a a protein shake as well. Liquid it could chicken. Be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I played with this band for a year, toured. Uh, all that time. And it was a weird experience because you know what people say about when you take a hobby and turn it into a job that you lose the passion for it. Well, that kind of happened with music. Mm. And looking back, I, I now know why I would say that it wasn't actually my true calling. It was just a hobby. It wasn't something that I was you know, meant to do in a vocational sense. Still play music, still love guitar. Uh, but after playing sometimes five, six hours a day, I remember having a conversation with a friend where he said, man, if I couldn't play music, I don't know what I'd do. And when I heard him say that, I immediately thought, well, I would just do something else. And huh. when, when I had that like, like knee-jerk reaction in, in my mind, I realized, like, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing with the rest of my life if, if I'm so mm -hmm. cavalier about it. I mean, it's nice. It's fun. It's cool to travel, play music. Uh, but if I don't love it that much, maybe there's something else out there for me. Which kind of began this long, drawn-out process through my 20s of trying to find that thing. Um, and I had, you know, some surprising discoveries along the way, as I talk about um, in the book. But that led to me moving to Nashville to chase a girl who moved here uh, to get involved in the music business. I started working for this nonprofit, first as a copywriter. Then I learned about marketing, became a marketing director, um, mm -hmm. which was really valuable. I learned how ideas spread and how to, you know, get people to pay attention to your message. Uh, but towards the end of that process, I had this feeling that I talked about. There's something more, and it's I'm not mm -hmm. just supposed to be a marketing director. And, and that was when I started kind of exploring what it would take to be a writer, what it would take to build an online community, studying what other people had done. You know, this, this thing kind of led to us connecting at some point, trying to learn from other people who understood publishing and marketing and uh, mm -hmm. online audiences. And what I never anticipated was while I was working at the nonprofit, while I was being a musician, while I was – trying to figure it out and feeling like I was wasting time, I was actually preparing. And, you know, mm -hmm. now three years into it, uh, you know, I'm uh, writing full time, I'm publishing books, I'm speaking, I run an online business. And there's not a day that goes by where I don't use a skill that I didn't learn from, you know, that season of life where I was trying all these different mm -hmm. things. As you said, the, the past is prologue. And it's it's kind of cool, you know, to be able to look back and understand how all of this stuff was being orchestrated in my life for a reason, I think, to yeah. prepare me for what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And I think that's if I could go back to my 20 year old self and and give me some advice, it would be, you know, look, success isn't linear. Right. It's you I would say, look, Kaiser, you don't really even know what you want. Because right. it's, it's actually in the process, we, we start off thinking, oh, I want to, I mean, like you, I'm going to be a musician. Right. Well, no, not really. Uh, but you wouldn't have known that if you hadn't actually gone through the process of unfolding. And, yeah. And uh, now I, I'm, really, I'm really interested. I know with this book, you interviewed hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. And it, I'm guessing that their experience was very similar, where it wasn't linear. I mean, what were some of the things that you discovered in, in the course of conversation with them? Yeah, so I described this book sort of as a like success story for the rest of us, a way to understand vocation that doesn't align with kind of the typical, you know, business or personal development books that say like do these, you know, 
10 things and, and you will succeed. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that guru approach. And uh, the truth is the first draft of this book was very much that kind of book. I wrote a book based on my experience and then I sanitized my story. I cleaned it up and I got rid of all of the inconsistencies and the self-doubt and the not knowing and turn it into this, well, from day one, I knew this, and I did all these things, and you can do them Mm -hmm. too, and you can succeed. The problem is when I was in the midst of that process, and I'm still in the midst of that process, I think it's really a lifelong process of figuring out what you're meant to do. Um, But when I was really in the thick of it, feeling very confused, those kinds of voices just made me mad. I mean, they're not encouraging for somebody to say, hey, it's easy. Well, it doesn't feel easy right now, or it's simple. Just do these things. Well, it, it feels a little bit more chaotic than that. So when I started um, finding these people's stories, reading biographies, I love reading biographies. You and I were talking about that um, offline. And and then interviewing people, I just kind of like somewhat haphazardly said, hey, I need some more research for my book. Like I was trying to just like fit some stories in there. And when I started talking to people, I was like, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, it is that way. When they started describing, and we had to kind of peel the layers off, when they started describing the complexity of their story. You know, Mm -hmm. when I talked to the woman who became the first full-time doula in Singapore, and she started this company of birth coaches helping these women kind of figure out how they wanted to, uh, you know, give birth to their children, and she said it was, you know, this failure led to this rejection by my family, led to this thing, and and it all led me to this point, doing this thing that I never thought I would do. And I kept hearing pieces of that over and over again. It I ended up somewhere that I never thought I'd end up, where mm-hmm. I never planned on being. I was like, well, wait a second. Like I've been describing my story very much the opposite of that, which is I knew I wanted to be a writer ever since I was a little kid, and now I'm doing it. And that's true, Kevin, but the reality is when I was a little kid, I didn't know that I wanted to be a writer. Does that make sense? Right. Like you it makes to, perfect sense. I had to like recover this dream that I had at one point going, oh, like I've wanted to do this my whole life, but it, I just realized this, you know, when I was 29 mm-hmm. years old or whatever. And I kept hearing that over and over again. So what I learned was we have a tendency because we feel like the heroes of our own story. And I think there's some truth to that. We have a tendency to kind of clean up the story. Uh, sure. not, not realizing that the conflict and the hardship and the self-doubt and, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do next? The not knowing uh, is really what makes a great story. And it's certainly mm-hmm. full of life. I mean, life is full of these, these moments of not knowing, not having clarity and having to act anyway. And yet when we go through something difficult or tragic or succeed in some way, a lot of times I think we tend to just kind of clean it up and say, here's how I did it. And if you do it this way, you'll succeed. So I say that by hearing these people's stories actually helped me make sense of my own story. This was not the book that I intended to write, but the one I was supposed to write, which incidentally I think is is what's true for a calling, for discovering your your purpose, the, the work that you're meant to do. It'll be something that you didn't intend to do, but when you get to that point, you go, this is exactly what I'm supposed to right. do. And I totally get it. And how all this stuff that looked like uh, an accident or, you know, confusion or, or a departure from the plan. This was all preparation. And I'm so, you know, grateful for that. Yeah. My, so my good friend, Stephen James is a, he's a novelist and he teaches writing and, and, uh, just a brilliant, brilliant guy who understands story, you know, just the core DNA of story. And he says, you know, you need to give people an ending or, a ride that is unexpected, but inevitable. Mm. And you don't really understand, you don't know what that is in the process until you actually get to it. Yep. Uh, and like this that. is, you know, for people who plot a novel versus just kind of go with the, the flow mm. uh, versus those who kind of meld those things. And that's exactly it because our culture tends to manage us toward the middle. I mean, it defines this, these parameters of success. And I'm like you, I, I am not doing anywhere near what I went to school for. And I switched, I mean, I switched careers after 10 years. I was in the investment business for 10 years, yeah. writing books on the side, uh, and now writing and, you know, mm. helping people figure out how to, how to unlock what it is that they really want to do too. Mm. Um, so how, you know, if you had to go back and compare how you define success then versus how you define it now. Because, I mean, you've caught the carrot. 
right? I mean, you set out to do this particular thing. You've gotten a lot of recognition. You've made money doing what you do. You've caught the carrot. Now what? Like, how, how do you define success for your, for yourself now? Yeah, well, um, it's an interesting analogy. I caught the carrot. Um, if I could sort of extend that analogy, I would say if, if the point is to catch the carrot and I have the carrot, it's going to take me a lifetime to eat it. Uh, the way I describe it, you know, finding a calling, I think of it as a path, not a plan plan is something that, you know, you like map it out. And if you deviate from the plan at all, uh, you're screwed, you know, you're not, you're not going to end up where you need to be. Whereas what we're talking about, and I love the idea of, you know, thinking of it like a plot, you know, where there's ups and downs, there's twists Mm -hmm. and turns. We love talking about our lives as stories. Uh, and then something bad happens. We go, what the heck? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I think we're we're saying I like happy endings. I like feeling like a hero, like the winner. And yet, when you watch Lord of the Rings or something, and you go, like most of this story, if I were living it, would kind of suck. You right. know, like this bad thing happened, which led to this bad thing, and we were pretty sure we were all going to die at this point. And then something happens, and and you know, we end up okay. But it's hard to live, you know, a really great story. So I think we forget about that when the conflict comes up, all these twists and turns, and you know, unexpected things. And, and, I, and I love, you know, what, what your friend says, you know, about that process that needs to have some inevitability to it. And, and you mentioned kind of in passing the plotting and then just kind of see, you know, come what may. And I think the melding of those two things is what really takes what it takes to live a good life. Meaning mm-hmm. culture, I think, gives us two stories. One story is plot along. Uh, you know, you get what you deserve in life. Just just work hard. And you can make anything possible, right? This is kind of the magic, mm-hmm. the, the American dream, and it and it sounds kind of magical because it is. It's not completely realistic. Like uh, there are certain things that you can't do um, because you're not supposed to do them. You know, like that, that's kind of what I learned about music. I started succeeding at the wrong thing. I know what you know what that feels like, Kevin. And mm-hmm. I thought, gosh, I'm doing this well and I'm getting rewarded for it, but there's something missing in me that's you know like. It's not about skill. It's about doing the right thing. So, you know, the other extreme that I think our culture uh, gives us is that, um, you know, like you're just kind of, you're just determined to do whatever it is that you're supposed to do. I mean, we see this in other cultures in the world uh, where, you know, wherever you are in life, that's where you deserve to be. And no matter how hard you work, um, what is, it, it is what is. And, and that's sort of like an existentialist, you know, way of looking at the world where like, all I know is that I'm here and, Everything else yeah. might as well be meaningless. And karma uh, wins. Right? Yeah. I mean, one's kind of go with the flow and the other one's like, I'm going to pound it out. And the same thing's true with writing, right? Like you've got mm-hmm. people who are too regimented and you can feel it when you read it. And then you have people that are too flowy and they end the, the, the story. I mean, I know I mean, there are best-selling fiction writers who do this, right? Like they end the story and you go, wait, wait, what? This is the end? What's going right, on right. here? They don't know how to right. end a story. And uh, I would submit that in good storytelling as well as in good lives, there is a middle where it's full of that flowy stuff where you're paying attention mm-hmm. to your life, listening to the signs and clues along the way, and you're also plotting along. You also have an intention. So what does that mean in relation to the carrot? I think of it like this. Like I used to be wandering around in the forest. Like I don't have all of life figured out, but I used to be wandering around in the forest like feeling like I was just kind of lost in the flow. And if I'm lost in the forest somewhere, um, I can plot along in any direction. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to get to where I need to mm-hmm. go. I could get more and more lost if I go in the wrong direction. So I have to find a path. I have to find some some way that other people have walked before so that when I find that path, I can know with a certain degree of um, certitude that uh, this is going to lead somewhere and it's I'm probably not going to die. Like I'm probably going to get right, right. out of the forest. I'm going to get to where I want to go. There will be twists and turns. There might be fallen branches. Uh, there will be a journey ahead. But if I follow this, I know because because it's a worn path that people have walked before, I can trust it. And I think when it comes to understanding your life's purpose, this uh, you know unlocking your calling, this thing that you're meant to do, it's not the end. You don't go, okay, I'm just going to feast on the carrot for the rest of my life. It's it's the beginning. It's like I found a carrot, and then I realized there's a bag of carrots, and I just need to keep mm-hmm. walking in the direction where I found, you know, the first carrot. Maybe like breadcrumbs getting you out of, you know, the forest, right. so to speak. Anyway, we're throwing a lot of analogies out there, but um, you know, I think that a calling is something that you'll spend your whole life fulfilling, 
But I wrote this book because I think a lot of people are lost in the woods trying to figure out what does it all mean. And some people are saying, just work really hard. Yeah, but right. towards what? For what? And then other people are saying, eh, just like in, like enjoy the scene, man. Like have fun. Right. <laughs> And I would argue that there's a path that, that you know, will take some intention to find. But once you get on it, life will like make make a lot more sense. Yeah. And, you know, and it's it, it truly is both. It's not yeah. an either or proposition. Right. It, yeah, it really is. Um, it really is both because, I mean, one real world example, I wrote a book with a with a friend of mine, Matt Bronley, and we'd spent I, I mean, we hammered this thing out. It was a novel. Yeah. Did it in about seven weeks got together after we were done to celebrate and we were sitting around talking about um, what the experience was like. And I said, so man, how do you feel? Like, how do you feel? And he, and he took a sip and said, you know, I kind of feel let down because actually doing the creating, doing the writing is kind of the thing because yeah. you're being who you are. Yep. It's not having written. It's not having created uh, because if you're constantly thinking about, you know, something else down the road or something that's already happened, you're, I mean, you're just not present. And, and I think having the ability and the wisdom to, to live in that space between the two is, it's very rare. Uh, and the only way, the only way you can learn how to do it is just by doing it, you know? I love that story. Uh, you've told me that before, and I, I love it because because it debunks this thing that I think is a lie, which is you know writers say to each other, uh, "I love I don't love writing. I love having written." Oh, B- baloney! Like finishing yeah. a book is the most depressing thing in the world. It's yeah. it's exciting in the sense that you've accomplished something, but then you kind of start the roller coaster descent, and 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 you know it's going to end. You know, like yeah. one of my one of the things that I hate when I'm watching a great movie is I don't want it to end. You know, like I, I mm-hmm. hate that I can tell when the end is coming because it's going to be over, you know. Yeah. And, and then and then there are some movies where it's clearly not over. Like when I was watching those Lord of the Rings movies and I was like, oh, it's going to. Oh, no, no, just an hour left. Uh, but yeah, yeah. but I was like, yeah, this is great. Um, yeah, I, I think that's true. And uh, there was this weird season where I. I was working so hard for really two years. I mean, this was this process spanned probably a decade in terms of me dreaming and thinking about it, but really getting down to it, building a, you know, starting a blog, building an online audience, getting published, then figuring out how to actually make a living writing, which wasn't just from publishing. Um, I, uh, I I had this moment, you know, my 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 30th birthday was my last day working a day job. And the next day I was free. And I thought it would wow. be so exciting. You know, this is a pivotal moment. My son had just been born. Uh, my wife and I both quit our jobs in the matter of a few months of each other. And I was like, this is amazing. It's going to be awesome. And we had saved up enough money that we could really live for the next, for the rest of the year. And we would have been okay. So a lot of security. Uh, it was great. And the next day and really for the next two months, I got really, really depressed because I had accomplished my goal and what did I have to work for? And um, I remember reading in Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, he talks about the importance of having a project to work on. And he says one of the things that kept him alive in the concentration camps in Nazi Germany in, in, the, um, in World War II was the fact that he had a book that he was working on. Not that he had finished, a right. book manuscript that he carried around with him. That and the anticipation of seeing his, his family, his wife, who he just had to believe was still alive, uh, that kept him alive when despair I mean, literally killed uh, other people. And so how I got out of that funk was I had to find a bigger project. I had to find another project that I could work on, another book, a new business, you know, something that was bigger than me that would give me a reason to get up every day and, mm-hmm. and work. And I think we all need that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know a lot of people listening to this are trying to figure this this thing out for themselves. You know, they're trying to figure out especially how to create an online business. And, um, I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, at the time when you were, you were starting to build up the blog, starting to build up your online presence, what was the best advice you got at that time? And actually let's start with what is the worst advice you got at that time? Love that question. Pursue your passion. Just do what you love. That's the worst advice I've ever gotten. 
Uh, I think it's easy. I think it's lazy. And I think it's it's an example of successful people sanitizing their story and discounting mm. the really hard work that they did. And I hate that because, yeah, pursue your passion. Totally. Like, don't do stuff that you hate. Like, can we all agree that, like, life is not fun when you just do stuff that you hate? Right, right. But let's, I mean, come on. Like, is pursuing your passion, doing what you love alone enough to, you know, succeed uh, at business, you know, like uh, attract people willing to pay you for your books or, you know, uh, an online course or, or your services? No, no. Uh, so that was the worst advice I heard. And the best advice I heard was... Um, did you figure that out? Like with time, you, you, did you take that advice to heart and then realize, oh crap, this is terrible advice? Well, I think what pers like pursue your passion, what that really means is be selfish. Like only do the stuff that you care about and that matters to you. Only hmm. play the songs that you want to play. Only uh, write the, the books that you want to write. Only... Uh, you know, paint the pictures that you want to paint. And I, I, again, like I'm not saying do the opposite. The opposite is 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 bad too. Like only do the things that other people expect of you. That feels like drudge work, right? That's pandering to an audience. Right. But that's a false dichotomy. All working artists that I know, all creative people who are trying to make a living at their art combine the two. They find what they love and they find a need in the world that they can meet and they connect them. And I think that's the best advice that I've ever heard is find what makes you come alive, find the thing that that turns you on and then connect mm -hmm. it with real needs that other people have. Because if you're meeting needs that you don't have the skill or passion to meet, then you're unqualified for the, the task. And yeah. if you're just doing stuff that you love and there's no demand or need for it, it's a hobby. That's what I learned about music. Mm -hmm. uh, it was actually something that there was a demand for I, but I didn't love it and I didn't want to do it with the dedication that a job would require. And so I was like, ah, like I'm going to do that a few times a week, not every single day for five hours. And uh, I think that that's a really you know good construct to think of. Um, and along with that, I think when it comes to actually building an online business, the best thing that you can do is build the audience first and then ask them, literally ask them what they want and then go create it. Uh, mm -hmm. The days of building a product and trying to find a market for it, those are quickly fading. Uh, with yeah. the ability and opportunity afforded to us through uh, the amazing you know, technological tools that allow us to connect directly with the people that are our customers, where we used to have to use media or advertising to find the people who needed the stuff that we were going to make them, you could just connect directly with them as you're doing right now, Kevin. Mm -hmm. Find out what they want, and then you can build it. I mean, that's that's a pretty amazing uh, opportunity. It's an incredible uh, world that we live in now, and uh, not enough people are taking advantage of it. Yeah, well, and that brings up a really, really good point. There are two things, but I want to talk about. The, but we'll start with this one because timing is a really. I was talking with Claire Diaz Ortiz, um, yeah. a, a, maybe a couple months ago, wow. and we were talking about this idea that timing is a really great predictor of success. Um, you know, and there seems to be some validity to that idea, especially when it comes to early adopters mm. and starting, if you would have, if you were starting today, first of all, do you think it's harder to get noticed? And then if you were starting from scratch today, like a lot of people listening to this would be or are, how would you go about building your audience today versus the way you did it before? Would you do anything differently? Well, uh, not really, because um, and I think Claire is very um, qualified to talk about that. I mean, a, an early adopter of Twitter who clearly, uh, you know, reap the benefits of that. Mm -hmm. I am, I am, I am, I stink at adopting things early. I'm so skeptical. <laughs> in spite, in, in spite of like running a business that basically is fueled by social media and technology. I, I'm kind of a Luddite. Like I, I've kind of fell into all of these tools in spite of myself. I've never, I, you know, I didn't own a computer until several years after college, uh, you know, very begrudgingly owned a cell phone. My wife made fun of me the other day. She goes, she goes, I'm just look at you glued to your laptop and your iPhone. And I remember the, the kid who moved to Nashville eight years ago who said, I'm not going to have a car. I'm not going to have a cell phone and I'm not going to have a computer. And I did it for like several months and I was like, oh, this is kind of hard to live. Uh, yeah. But I just, I never, 
uh, I never put much stock in tools. It was always about techniques. And I still believe that. So I think the tools change. But every tool that I use, Twitter, Facebook, uh, email, um, uh, blogging, I felt like I was a late adopter to all of them. I didn't even understand Twitter, you know, when I started using it. I didn't. I I thought Facebook was just for you know pictures, which initially it was. So I, I was never like on the cusp of something new. All all I ever wanted to do was connect with people. I mean, that's a technique, not a tool, mm -hmm. right? Like if you connect with people and the tools facilitate that connection, and you can actually create a meaningful connection that allows you to help other people. Uh, it, you know, engender some kind of trust with them where there's there's a sense of reciprocity where you're giving enough to them that they want to give something back. That that attention can be pointed towards, hey, I've got a new book. Hey, check out this you mm -hmm. know business that I'm launching, uh, whatever. So that technique I think is timeless. It always works. So if I were going to start over, I would I would look at the opportunities available to me, and um, I would go, what uh, facilitates this? Because if you if you find a tool, I mean, this is this was the thing that we struggled with when I was a marketing director. Some new tool came out. And we go, hey, there's a cool new tool called Twitter. Let's use it. But the question was, how? How does how? this, you know, yeah. how does this get us to our goal? Uh, if it's just a tool for the sake of having a tool, um, you know, it, it's not going to get you to where you want to go. You have to understand first how the tool works and also what your goal um, is. And I see mm -hmm. a lot of people using all kinds of things, blogging, social media, et cetera, and they don't understand how is this tool supposed to be used. And also, how can I use it to, you know, get me to my goal? Uh, but to be a little bit more practical, because that's sort of, you know, ethereal. Um, I, I think uh, I think blogging is still very relevant. Uh, I would look at the things that that have always worked. There have pretty much always been websites. There's always been email, and there's mm -hmm. always been networks, ways to connect with people, message boards, chat rooms, social media. These things have come and gone, but there have always been networks. So if I were going to start today, I'd look at those three things. How do I build uh, what Chris Brogan calls a home base? How do I establish right. my platform in a place where I own this real estate online? A website. Then how do I get direct access to my audience through email? That's the best way to do that uh, because even you know having a podcast or um, you know a, a YouTube show, this is all kind of this is great outreach, but it's rented space. I'm putting my stuff exactly. out there on somebody else's channel, and at any time they can change the rules. You own your podcast, but without iTunes, your reach is very you know, is, is, is very much limited. And then the third is, is outreach. How do I engage in the channels where people are connecting? That's always changing. Uh, but one of the channels that I'm looking at that I feel like I'm sort of an early adopter of is medium. I mean, that's, that's a pretty interesting, uh, channel. I don't look at it as a platform. I look at it as a, a distribution channel where I can take mm -hmm. my content, put it there, and try to connect with new people because I've got these other pieces in place. I've got a website with an email list. But those three right. things I think will always exist in some form or another. And I mean, if you look at any business, that's essentially what you need. You need a storefront. You need uh, some sort of list or way of connecting with customers to stay in touch with them. And then you need to be in a location where people are going to see you. And the, you know, the cool thing about the web is uh, you can, there's lots of different locations and they're always moving, but you can very cheaply and easily engage in those places where there's lots of traffic and conversation happening. Yeah. And having a guy who, uh, who owns his own chicken suit doesn't hurt either. <laughs> he knows how to flip those signs. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So what's, uh, let's talk about medium because yeah. I'm beginning to experiment with medium. What's, what has your experience been with that? Uh, cause I've talked to a few people who have over a hundred posts on it, uh, some a couple hundred without any meaningful uh, traction. But I think that may be, a, you know, more of a an indictment on the type of content they're, they're creating. What, what's been your experience? Yeah, well, I mean, the reality is um, I, uh, I don't have so much time to create content. And a lot of times it's, um, am I going to post this on my blog or am I going to post this elsewhere? Now I have a solution to that, which I'll you know talk about it in a minute. But um, I do think that there's something really smart about um, creating content unique for the platform. You know, so LinkedIn likes talking about business. So me, you know, mm -hmm. posting pictures of my son isn't going to get the same reaction that it might get on Facebook or even you know Pinterest or something because of the audience, because of the way people are using the tool. Uh, this, but I don't have a lot of time. So the second thing that uh, I would say 
is um, I I think very much because of the way social media and and content works now. This wasn't true a few years ago, but the way it works now is I can basically create a piece and then I can republish it all throughout the web in different channels and platforms. Uh, initially publishing it on my blog and then tweaking it for different you know channels wherever appropriate and get a much wider reach without having to spend. Uh, significantly more work doing mm-hmm. it. This wasn't possible a few years ago. You know, Google hated duplicate content. And if I post something on my blog and it's something on somebody else's blog, one of those was going to get discounted and I could right. basically cannibalize my traffic doing that. That's not true anymore. I'm not a search engine expert. I don't work for Google. Uh, you know, I have to make all those caveats. But I've been doing this and I know lots of people who have basically been doing content syndication through channels like Medium, LinkedIn, et cetera. And it's working really, really well. And I've seen the same thing. Basically, I write a piece, publish it on my blog. A week later, if it makes sense, you know, for the conversation that's happening on mm-hmm. Medium, which is very much kind of tech <clears throat> and personal development and life hacking kind of stuff, uh, I'll put it there. And sometimes it does great. And sometimes it, you know, doesn't do so well. But for me, it's, it's you know, it's a, a copy and paste and, you know, a few minutes mm-hmm. of, you know, make, making some small edits. And I've had, you know, I had something go viral on, on Medium. Uh, and, it, and it brought a lot of attention and traffic to, you know, the work that I was doing on my blog. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Well, let's talk. I know this gets a little more into nitty gritty things, but um, sometimes you got to get, get into nitty gritty. Now, when it comes to actually creating, creating content now, uh, how is it, is that the only, is that the primary way that your approach is different now than the way it used to be? I mean, is it essentially creating one thing, distributing it in uh, multiple uh, multiple portals, or are you still blogging a, a lot for yourself? Are you still doing guest posts? Yeah, I'm doing all those things. Um, okay. Now, uh when I was starting, it was more important to be in other people's channels than it was mm-hmm. to be in my own. It's good to have your own home base. It's good to have a platform. Uh, but I spent seven years just blogging on my own blog, not doing much outreach, and never got more than a couple hundred readers. And then when I started showing up in other people's channels through guest posting and getting interviews when I could, uh, and then pointing people back to that home base, I mean, because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's the rub, right? Like some people are everywhere, but they don't have a place that they live, right? They're sort of wandering vagrants around the internet, but they don't have a home. And then there are people that are homebodies that just stay stuck at home and they don't kind of build the relationships that turn into those networks that ultimately attract people back to their place. Mm -hmm. So you need both. But in the beginning, you know, basically I wrote a few blog posts for my blog and then I started going out and guest posting everywhere. And that was the difference between a couple hundred readers and a couple hundred thousand readers over the course of, you know, a, a couple of years. So it's, it's dramatic. It matters. Now, you know, when you've got hundreds of thousands of ears, you can kind of milk that. Uh, but I recently have just kind of had this realization, like what got me to where I am is going to be the same thing that I need to get to the next level. I don't get to coast, mm-hmm. you know, like that's when things stagnate. I've got to keep growing and reaching new people because I care about that, because I want the message to connect with more people. Um, and, and there's tension there cause you can always do more, but for me, uh, yeah, the system is create something for my blog. I'm still, you know, creating content for my blog two or three times a week and then f- finding other networks that'll basically point everybody back to that place. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. that's simple for me. I know other people who do, con- you know, I, I remember reading about Gary Vaynerchuk's content strategy and it's like, oh my gosh, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, he's just all over the place, but he's got a whole team doing that. This is what I can do. I can I can write, you know, every morning and turn that into a few pieces a week uh, and then find different places that want to use that. And that that works for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that that I mean, that is a really good strategy, no matter if you're a one person shop or if you're managing a team of, you know, 100 people. I mean, you really want to focus. You're going to get, you know, it's the whole Pareto's principle. You're going you really will get 80 percent or maybe even more of yeah. your return from 20% of, of your effort. And, um, I mean, that's always held true. And I, I think one reason maybe that people don't do things like, uh, guest posting, it, you know, and reaching out, I find it's one of two things that either, first of all, don't know how to do it, right. They don't know how to make the initial contact. Um, and then also it's something that Derek Sivers said, 
about, you know, what's obvious to you might be amazing to other people. Absolutely. You know, and so they keep, they keep their stuff to themselves versus giving it away. And that's one thing I've noticed. And you've, I think you've been a really good example of this over the years of you can never go wrong by being generous and you can never be too generous. You know, you always want to give your best stuff, um, to the place where it will have the greatest impact, the most good, and that will always serve you. And it, it seems like that's that's been part of your your whole approach over the years. Yeah. Um, either that, or you're, you've just fooled us all. Well, I mean, there, there's sort of this scarcity mindset, which is that mm-hmm. if I give it all away, then what do I have? Right. Like this is like the number one question that people have. Right. Like if I get, can I give too much? If you're thinking about this, if I give too much then I won't have anything left for myself. I won't have anything left for my books or my business or whatever. And um, I don't think that's true because that's misunderstanding. the. First of all, it's misunderstanding business, but let's say you don't care about that. Mm -hmm. That's just misunderstanding the creative process. I love Annie Dillard talks about this uh, in a beautiful way. Uh, She says, you know, one of the things that she's learned about writing is that you have every time you have to shoot it all, play it all, spend it all. Like you have to exhaust yourself. What she's saying is, don't hold back any of your darlings. Don't hold back any of your you know beautiful little things for the next time you sit down to write or for the next book. Every time, exhaust yourself. Every time you create, put forth everything that you have, every, every resource that you have, everything that makes sense to share on this blog post, in this speech, in this product that you're creating. Give away your best work because what happens is the next time you sit down to create something, you'll have something more. And, and I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's like saying I'm not going to max out at the gym today because I won't have anything left to give tomorrow. Now, I don't want to get into, you know, the, the science of, you know, physique and whatnot because I don't know anything about that. But I do know that one of the things that it takes to grow muscle is you got to push your body harder than it physiologically wants to go. Like your body's right. like, no, I don't want to run that fast. I don't want to lift that much weight like that. You're going to die if you do that. That's what I think when I'm running. You're going to die. And and yet we know that if we push ourselves a little bit further than we rationally think we're capable of, that's how we grow. That's how we get better. That, you know, muscles are grown through little tiny tears and, and rips in the, in the fabric mm-hmm. of the muscle. Now, can you overdo that? Absolutely. I'm not saying work yourself to death. I am saying when you come to the edge of going, is this too much? Am I being too generous? You know, should I hold back for the next project? Always push that. Always push that because you will wow people, which is a great thing to do as opposed to just sort of uh, meeting their expectations. And the next time you sit down to create, uh, you're going to have something more. It's a regenerative, regenerative process. Yeah, absolutely. It, and this is this is a principle that you can use no matter where you are. You know, I I can't tell you how many people. You know, I'll be I'll be at a writer's conference or or at, you know, some other gathering where people want to know, you know, should I should I quit my job? Like, should I just like take the leap and go for it and try and make this stuff happen? And Mm -hmm. I want to write for a living. And my advice is always the same. It's look, your job is a safety net. It's actually a competitive advantage because you get to test things out Mm -hmm. with zero risk. Yeah. Right. Right. And these things that you're talking about, you know, giving your all testing ideas, just like putting it out there. Anybody can do that at any time, anywhere, mm-hmm. no matter what their job is. Yeah. And and it does really start to habituate you. It starts to teach you how to do that for when you are sitting, you know, at your desk the day after your 30th birthday going, oh, my gosh, what do I do next? Well, you already know what to do next because you're in the habit of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought it was going to change. I thought I was going to have a new job description. I thought that, you know, this thing that I was doing in the margins of life now that I had a full-time job, like I would I would do something different. And what I had to do was go back to doing what I had, you know, done to get myself mm-hmm. there in the first place. Jeff, you got to write every day. You've got to reach out to people every day. You've got to do something at some point to make some money. Like those, those three things, right. like do, do something to extend the reach of the brand, do something to keep bettering yourself at the craft and do something to, you know, keep the lights on, do those three things. And you never, you know, run out of things to do and you never run out of, you know, opportunities to, to grow 
uh, and get better. I'm, I'm so glad you said that, Kevin, because for a minute I thought you were going to say, you've got a safety net, you need to tear a safety net and leap and the net will appear. <laughs> and I, I make a habit of trying not to you know, disagree with people who are hosting me, but that was one of those times where I was going to have to disagree with you. But I'm glad we're in alignment. I think yeah. you, you have the best opportunity right now, wherever you are, the things that feel like obstacles are actually the means that are going to get you to where you want to go if you're smart enough to mm -hmm. use them. Most people aren't. Most people are sitting around waiting for the perfect opportunity, waiting for an invitation, waiting for the skies to open and for you know voice from on high to tell you what to do. And the reality is you know enough. You don't know everything, but you know enough to do something today. And the only way that more clarity comes, more awareness of whatever I'm supposed to do with my life comes is by taking action today. Most people mm -hmm. sit around waiting for clarity, waiting to just know what to do. And I think that clarity comes with action, that the road appears when we start walking on it. And if you just sit in a haze, you know, surrounded by a, you know, a, a foggy mist, it never goes away until you start moving and you see at least the next step to take. That's right. That's right. Man, that's good stuff. So the art of work, comes out what is what is the street date again march 24th march 24th i i have an early copy i am just now finishing it fantastic work my friend um i cannot wait for other people to to get their hands on this and read it uh as well as your other books because your other books are great in the blog so but before i let you go i, I have one last question for you and it's so what is what is the vision now for the next year, three years, five years? Oh, gosh. Uh, that's a toughie. Well, uh, clarity is coming with action. I mean, the short answer is, I don't know. Uh, the, the longer answer is, I'm, I'm figuring it out. Um, I, uh, I wrote this book because, uh, as you know, Kevin, I kind of feel like I have uh, two different jobs. I write books for largely an offline audience, and I've used my online leverage to, you know, get the you know books to spread. Uh, but then, you know, uh, my online stuff is really centered around helping writers and, you know, online marketing and, and those kinds of things. And, and there was sort of like this disparity between the two things that I do. And I didn't like that. I'm not two people. I'm one person. And so the art of work was, you know, sort of this bridge between these two worlds. Like I run an online business. I help writers and creative entrepreneurs find ways to succeed. Um, and I love writing books and this is my story of how I became a full-time writer and kind of fell into this thing that, uh, I never expected. And so what I've want to do with this book, what, what I'm trying to do is sort of bring those worlds together. You know, how does an author who also, you know, loves connecting with people and, and building things online, you know, how does that work? So, you know, I think it would, it would be disingenuous to say I've got this plan or, you know, <laughs> everything's sketched out. I don't know. Uh, but I feel like those things are coalescing in some, you know, yeah. really fun ways. And, um, we're doing a bunch of, you know, cool things with the book in terms of, you know, when you finish a book, like uh, usually you want more, like you want to take the next step. You want to do mm -hmm. something. And, um, I think you can overdo that. I love that, you know, books are these like, uh, single shareable ideas or stories that are self-contained. Uh, but when I finish a book, I always kind of want to find out more. And so, I'm, I'm doing some stuff. I'm working on some stuff uh, that sort of aligns with the art of work, an online course, a community, mm -hmm. some cool things, you know, because this is one of those books that once people finish the book, they want to know uh, what's next. And that's been fun already with some early readers to start working through that that process. One of the things I say in the book is that every story of success is really a story of community. It's fun to bring a bunch of people mm -hmm. together through a book that, you know, are trying to to build a bridge between where they are and where they want to be that are willing to do the work every day and to just, you know, connect with them. I'm already grateful for the the folks that I've gotten to connect with through the book. So I think that's, you know, more of that kind of thing, you know, using books to connect with people and stir things up and using digital technology to, you know, facilitate mm -hmm. those connections. Again, I'm not a tools guy, but I'm taking advantage of that because that's, that's a lot of fun. I hope to do more of it. Yeah. And that's actually at the, end of the proverbial day what matters most is is connecting people and you know being generous with with your time and and with your skills so that they can go do awesome things too so yeah well fun. my friend you've been a real encouragement to me um over the years so thank you for that thank you for doing awesome work and work that you care about first of all and that really ma it really does matter so 
keep doing it. I'm, I'm going to keep cheering you on, man, and spreading the word how, however I can. So, and everybody listening, uh, be sure to check out the show notes for this. There are going to be lots of links and uh, I, you're going to get lost in Jeff Goins land and you're going to love it. So, Jeff, thanks for, thanks for taking time out to do this, my friend. I, I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure, Kevin. Thanks. All right. Well, with all things, my friends, it's not enough to hear it, but you need to move what you've heard today from your head into your heart and then from your heart to your hands and feet so that you can start walking this stuff out for yourself. And I have lots of resources for you today. I want you to go to, go to 1ktruefans.com. There are lots of resources there, including show notes from this episode with Jeff. You can get his new book, The Art of Work. You can get the digital edition free, as well as hundreds of dollars in bonuses that he's put together just for you. And you'll also find on the website a free course that I've worked on for quite a while. Uh, it's the process, it's the result of over 10 years of working in the industry that I've been in. And it is a free course that will walk you through step by step five simple keys that you can use to unlock your true calling and start doing work that you love, work that matters. This is your time to figure this out for yourself and to start living your unique purpose for your life to figure out how you can do the most good for the most people in the world and have a meaningful life. So go check that out, 1ktruefans.com and check that out. All of Jeff's free resources, his new book, The Art of Work. You're going to love it. I hope this was encouraging to you. It has reignited my, uh, my passion for what I do. And I hope this gives you the tools that you need to do the same. So thanks again. 1ktruefans.com. Check it out. And I'll see you next time. Peace.